Our scripture reading is from Hebrews 12, 3 through 11, so if you want to follow along, please do. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Um, Welcome this morning. I want to once again thank Stephen Stanton for preaching last week. Good job, young man. And um, we're going to continue in our sermon series uh, through the book of Hebrews. And um, as we continue in our sermon series through this book, we find ourselves, if you've noticed, in a part of the book of Hebrews where the writer is encouraging believers to keep going. Discourage believers Believers who may be going through some hardships in their lives. Who are trying to make sense of their suffering while there's apparently a God of grace and love and power that they have begun to serve through Jesus Christ. Trying to make sense of it. What category do you put this kind of suffering and and disappointment and hurt sometimes, and pain when you consider yourself a child of God. So the writer of Hebrews is calling them and now us to see and accept ourselves as children of God, experiencing in in many of life's ups and downs God's good discipline for our good. And it reminds me of that... uh, interesting things some of your parents may have said when you were getting disciplined, when you were told your punishment, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I don't know how that statement's lasted that long because it just doesn't seem to be true. A parent, especially if you're the kid, when you're the kid and you hear something like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, you think, come on, mama, come on, daddy. I'm grounded from going to the biggest event of the year. You embarrass me in front of my friends. Think about the many things you say. You went massa on me, right? With the belt or the wooden spoon, you, you are ruining the life I've put together. You, you made me cry. You have pulled out the public display of affection at the wrong time. 
have to sit through boring Bible studies in your lectures that you keep saying the same thing over and over about about my life. And I am supposed to believe, mom and dad, that you are being more hurt in the moment than I am. We've all been there, right? Most of us. And Hebrews is calling us right back there to look at our lives and our sufferings and somehow believe this God disciplining us cause unpleasant pain he's giving us is good for us and that we should believe it is so good that we have a heart and a mind to be thankful and appreciative and praise God for the hard times and tough times and places of affliction. How are we expected to get with that? First, Hebrews says and teaches here that we must remember who we are. And that secondly, we must respect God's discipline of us. And finally, we must receive and recognize God's blessing through discipline. First, we must remember who we are as believers. Look with me at verse 5 again. And he says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as Sons, and it goes on to say, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wearied when reproved by him. We could have just stopped at the first half of that verse, and that can preach just by itself. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He is saying, remember and recognize who and what you are to the Lord. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a child. You are a child in this world in God's eyes, right? This is basically saying something incredible, that you are not responsible for yourselves. You are not responsible for your own nurture and care and protection. You're not responsible to see everything and have everything under control and be all grown up. It is saying that the Lord is the only complete grown up, spiritually speaking, the world could ever know. So the discipline he is about to talk about is because, simply put, you and I are called to be children to see ourselves as kids, as sons, as daughters in a spiritually dangerous and confusing world. The other day I was picking up the boys I take to carpool to school. And that time of morning, there's lots of kids around, wait, walking around, waiting for the bus, and of course, playing around, playing football in the middle of the street. And I looked up and noticed a school bus was coming towards me, zooming real fast. I was thinking, that bus is really going sort of fast, in my assessment. And then on the right were a group of teenage students playing around, horsing around like they were going to wave the bus down, like, slow down, wait for me. But the young man did so by stepping in the lane in front of my car and his head was turned toward the bus and he was walking toward my car toward the front of my car he didn't see me or see the danger 
What's interesting is he was old enough as a teenager to know better and bring serious consequences, but just being a kid couldn't and didn't do enough to not possibly get hit if I didn't watch out for him. My dad used to say, kids, they don't see. They don't see you. You blow your bump, bump. Oh, shock. They don't see anything going on. They're trying to catch the football. They're trying to get the ball that runs into the tree. They're trying to show off for their friends. They don't see what's going on. They could have been dead a thousand times over. But the thousand people who saw them is a reason most of us still here today. I want some of you to remember your adolescent and teenage and even college years. Even college kids live in this pseudo middle class world. You ain't grown up yet. When you thought you had a handle on your world or better than yet, you thought you had a grip on certain things that really had a grip on you. You know what this verse is encouraging us to do? This whole passage in large part, it is going to sound strange. Stop being so hard on yourself. You are just a child. Can you imagine that? And I am saying that not so you don't take seriously the life God has given you and the responsibilities for his glory that you have, but I am talking about your sense of control and dependence and guidance that you and I need to stop looking at the Bible and your relationship with God and his present Holy Spirit as a toolbox for people who are skilled in themselves to basically run their own lives. We must see our relationship with God more like the writer of Hebrews says, as an address and as direction, as warning, as, hey, watch out, kid, and correction to sons and daughters, to those still trying to figure themselves and this world out. This is a message of grace to you and me who have God as their father through Jesus Christ. We are free, y'all, to be and do what so many of us have been longing for, to be cared for like a son and daughter, to, to almost go back to being a child in a world that in so many ways is too much for us to handle, not only inside, outside, but inside our own hearts. But here's the issue. When it comes to having a Lord who addresses and treats you and me like sons and daughters, some of you ain't never known naturally the kind of fatherly parental address and love and guidance the Bible is talking about. As a matter of fact, many of you in here don't know what it is like to sleep and walk and live and look to the next day feeling safe. And secure because you could trust in your dad or your mom. You never learned what it meant to just be safe, a kid, right? Who, who can grow and develop and confines of someone who sees you and protects you and got you like a child. So many of you had to care for yourselves and your siblings and even physically and emotionally to be the parent to your parent. Mama was wrong, let me tell some of you, when she told you you were her little man and the man of the house before you were a man. You had to run and protect the little bit of life and dignity that you scavenged and saved from what I would describe as your abbreviated and missing childhood. 
Some of you have lost parents to tragedy and death and debilitating sicknesses. And now some of us, adults, we have no one we can run to or call as father or mother. And we have the worst experiences being children. And so you have wrongly assumed, now hear this, that there is no way and no place that you could be seen and accepted and protected and loved and cared for as a son or daughter. In fact, ironically, some of you came to Christianity to escape being a child again. You wanted something that would help you grow up by giving you goals and principles and morality and and, and faith. And that is not Christianity. Christianity is about learning to be a child of God. Not being someone who can be an adult for themselves, spiritually speaking. Some of you have sold yourself short looking for a mother or father figure in the wrong places and has gotten you in all kind of trouble. Some of you pushing your spouses to be the nurturer and protector and redeemer of your childhood. You want to feel like for the first time like an adored girl or a son whose father is proud of him and it ain't working too well. Let me say this. For those who know your dad's real good and others who don't know what that fool is, And others who don't want to know where he is. And others whose parents were nothing but talent agents and academics and sports and arts. While others who just want to steer clear of being a child because your parent just beat the living you know what out of you emotionally and physically. Some of you don't want to go back to being children. And this address seems wrong. For every son or daughter experience you or I could have had, the Bible, the Lord, sees and addresses and treats those who belong to him like sons and daughters with a perfect love. And we need to grow in grace, the Bible is saying, to see ourselves like that and to accept our new identity as children of God for once, y'all, in one place in your life and once again for others. It is safe and good and right to enter and stay in this relationship with God through Jesus by being a son and a daughter and being a child. There is no other way. Which means is remember that as we remember that we are children of God, we must also respect God's discipline in our lives. Look again at verses 5 through 11, and we're basically going to read the rest of the passage here. And I'm going to come back to some of the verses. And it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation addresses, as, that excuse me, addresses you as sons? It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, Nor be wary when approved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children or orphans and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers, talked about this a little bit already, who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the fathers of father spirits and live? For they discipline us, our earthly fathers, for a short time as it seemed best to them. 
But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the, mo- for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's a lot there, and we'll go back to some. But the word for discipline means chastening, nurture, instruction. And I can imagine, I don't have to imagine when I read this passage, it's the chastening part that I got most tripped up on, in large part because of the horror stories or fears, not even things that actually happen, but the fears you face and I face as children. And that's why I believe the writer of Hebrews says what he says in verse 10. For our, heaven, for our earthly fathers discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Every single one of us has experienced imperfect discipline from neglect to abuse and everything in between. And there is this compare and contrast in this passage that, that, yes, God is your father and you as his child is supposed to do discipline like good earthly parents and not treat you like you don't exist, like you are some kind of orphan. As verse 8 says, he is promising to be in discipline like good earthly parents, but better. Not imperfectly or selfishly or short-sighted like earthly parents can be, but perfect and loving and awesome only like God can. And if earthly parents who are imperfect get respect for their imperfect job, God should get similar and even that much more respect as the all-powerful God in charge of our lives. So we see that it is proper and right that he get recognition and respect to discipline us and that we can expect to be disciplined by God who loves us. Which means God's discipline, like earthly discipline, ranges from hugs and kisses and comfort. That's the nurture side. And to what verse 11 describes as painful and not pleasant, but still good for us. And God being good to us in discipline. The Bible is telling us without apology that God's children need God sometimes, hear this, momentary, unpleasant, painful discipline in our lives. So what are we talking about? I know y'all came to Christianity to escape pain in unpleasantness, but this is a different kind of unpleasantness and pain we're talking about. It might feel the same, right? But the goal is different. Look back at verse 5 and 6 one more time. It says, and I'm going to start back, my son, uh, second half of verse 5, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. You see those words reprove and chastisement? Those are words I don't like to see in reference to how God, according to verse 5 and 6, loves us, right? It says that he does this to those he loves and, verse 6, those whom he's received. So if you became a believer, Jesus saved your soul and brought you to God the Father. He receives you. And so those whom he receives and he loves, those two words, right? Reproof and chastisement. I don't want that to be part of the gospel message. 
Do you know what the words reproof and, 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 and chastisement mean? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But I, my parents, y'all, spanked us. We didn't call it spanking. Being from the low country of South Carolina, we called it beatings. And I know, and I want to be careful with using that word because I know in, with child abuse and all those things going on, using a word like beating may imply like some kind of real abusive physical punishment for somebody. No, beating meant the belt, the spoon, whatever it was, it was described as a beating. Okay? You got beat, man? Yeah, I got beat. It, it was okay. And they spanked us well into middle school. Now, I don't know if that was good or bad or because I need counseling for my inner child being broken, but, but they had two paddles that sat on either side of the fireplace downstairs. One was super long, and it had painted on it the fraternity sorority of my parents. One side, Omega Psi Phi, slash, and then Alpha Kappa Alpha, right? And then a smaller paddle just had the Omega fraternity seal on it. And we would try to hide those things, right? But somehow they would always be found in time for the whipping, right? Now we'll come back to that in a minute. Hold that in your mind. When it comes to God's unpleasant but good disciplines, we see reprove and chastisement, like the two paddles on either side of the fireplace in verse 5 and 6. And the word means this. Reprove means to confute, right? To admonish, convict, convince, tell a fault, show you what's wrong with you, to rebuke. Chastise means oh, to scourge, right? I don't like that word. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. It sounds so bad. To scourge. That don't sound right. That don't sound godly to me. God, come to Jesus so you can get scourged. Those who God loves and receives through Christ get scourged. It's in the Bible. Now, I kind of look at that word scourge. It means to whip. It means to get the beaten, right? To afflict pain, to bring affliction on you and your life. Now, we see why he says that the Lord's discipline is painful and unpleasant in verse 11. Well, before you leave too quickly, mentally, physically, this is not Jonestown. We ain't going to hurt nobody up in here. From what is being, I don't want you to run from what's being preached today. The Bible preempts your response that says, I don't know if I want any part of this. And he says what in verse 5 and 6? Don't take it lightly. Don't grow weary of it. Or while you're going, or, or, or while you're going through it, don't get weary. And weary means to eventually loose or run or free yourself from what the Lord is doing through discipline. Like I said, we used to try to avoid the discipline of my dad. Daddy especially. I'll talk about mom in a minute. Hers was worse. We would hide those paddles in the craziest places. I put it in the shed once behind lock and key. <laughs> Hoping. Get this. He would give up and grow weary of trying to punish us. I grew weary. Maybe I can make daddy weary. He's tired. Daddy, you're tired. It's work. You just came from work. I know you don't want to spank us. Yes, I got suspended from school, but just chill. I've looked all over for it. Daddy, aren't you tired too? But it was our little brother, typically, who'd always find it. 
I'd come in there, Dad, we, we can't find it. Here it is. Yes. Remember those times you tried to hurt me, Howard? Here it is. So if that didn't work, we would, what the Bible says, seek it lightly, right? We would seek to get it lightly. We would despise it, right? Back in the day, we would put on jeans, two pairs of sweatpants, three pairs of underwear if we knew it was coming. Time for paddling or something like that. Or that just hold on a minute. I'm in the bathroom. I'll be down. My brother at the time was too young and didn't know how to pad himself properly. He came down with three or four books in his sweatpants, and we got in trouble for leading him astray, and we all got it beaten. And boy, when we got up into that room behind the tears, maybe you weren't like me, but the words I would be saying after getting a spanking and disgust and pouting. But do you know what we do? What we did, the Bible here is calling us not to do. To not take what God dishes out and discipline lightly and not to grow weary or run away from him and hide from him when we're going through hard times. This letter as a whole in Hebrews, have you ever really read this thing? It's scathing. It's hard. He's telling grown folks. Right? Grown folks who've been walking in Judaism for years, you're going to go to hell if you keep messing around with this. He's telling them some real harsh things about themselves and their faith. And then we get to chapter 13, which I preached already, through the leaders in the church by preaching and church discipline and corrections of how people were living and not loving God or themselves well. Is the reproof and discipline of the Lord he's talking about in verse 5 and 6? Now, I know how some of these new churches are, right? They take lightly the discipline of the Lord. And they do everything they can to pad you from receiving things that are hard or receiving hard things as a matter of you just not having enough faith, right? So they pad God's discipline with a prosperity gospel, right? They pad God's discipline by saying, you don't have to be a member. If you don't, we're going to make church so much fun, so good for you, so free. You don't have to be a member. There's no church discipline. You can't get in trouble. If you don't like it, you can just leave. No big deal. You don't have to worry about being embarrassed or humiliated for the sin you've done. We don't even care about your sin. We just love you so much. And so these new churches are popping up, no membership, no leadership, no church discipline. Everything is your choice. I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. I never see God's people have a choice. Please show me. Even in Old Testament Judaism, you couldn't just walk away. And if you did, my goodness, what's wrong with you? I'm going to the next more exciting, more accepting of the way I want to live church. That's running from the discipline of God. Well, you know, they just preach too hard over there. Too bad. I ain't even preach hard yet. The writer of Hebrews is like my brother. He's found the paddle. And he's saying, here it is. 
This very book of Hebrews telling Jewish believers to their embarrassment and humiliation that they are about to lose touch with salvation if they keep being foolish about the gospel and go back to Judaism. That is discipline, and we hate God showing us up, revealing where we are wrong, showing our farts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't want him showing that either. Showing our faults. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen one day. Bringing us in our misconceptions in the open like he just did me. And then to have it done in front of others, by others, by our brothers and sisters as instruments of the Lord. Those are God's grace and discipline for us. By the church leaders. Now get this. Faulty men. By your accountability partner, or worse yet, a godly spouse. <laughs> we hate when they find the paddle, right? And then watch while you go through. This is humiliating and not pleasant, and we simply don't want to be wrong or shown our wrong by God through some human instrument or earthly institution called the church. How dare! These earthly instruments of God make me feel so unpleasant. Sound familiar? Look at verse 11. But really we see how and what God uses to discipline his church. Really what we are saying is how dare God discipline us. We as verse 5 and 6 says grow weary and despise God's discipline because of the pain and momentary, it says, humiliation it might cause. Now, I don't want to overlook some real church abuse. Some of you have suffered in the past. But I can promise you this. God will never grow weary of being your father and you being his child. And so he will not grow weary of disciplining you through things that you take lightly and sarcastically and cynically like community groups in midweek and submitting to your leaders here at the church because you're too cool and busy, too scary, or think too deeply and uniquely. You're too special. You've been in the church a long time. You know the game and injured and are too different kind of believer of Christ to go to those things or submit to your leadership. You know what that's called? taking lightly the discipline of the Lord. Now, this is not with the, it's not the discipline you're taking lightly only. The scripture is teaching you're taking lightly the love of God for you as a child. Don't you know those ministry offerings at Christ Central and other churches are the hand of discipline and discipleship of the Lord I urge you, if you feel like you've been orphaned by the church and the Lord, ask first, am I acting like an orphan? Is, is, is a house there, but I won't run into it? Is God's love and offering and spiritual food there, but I would rather run someplace else? If you feel like an orphan, are you acting like an orphan? Because I can assure you this, sure the church can be imperfect and a discipleship that we have in the church can be imperfect, but I promise you, you may, that God is not treating his people like orphans. But it's the chastisement part that scares me the most, the affliction, y'all. This is stuff I get the most questions about as a pastor. Why did this happen to me, Pastor. You know what this reminds me of? Getting disciplined by my mom in the unseen and unknown providence of things. Y'all know what that means? 
my mom would grab anything at her disposal or arm's reach to throw at us or swing our way. I look around the house and I don't think there's much I wasn't hit with or dodged. And I say it with a joyful heart because she wasn't trying to crush me or abuse me. Anything from slippers? Real quick. A belt on her waist, and they would pull it out in one swoop. <laughs> they switch at the park off a tree to kitchen spoons. Even got a rice pot thrown at me. Those things pretty heavy. We had a, I have to tell you a story later. But I'm going to tell you this story. Let me tell you, what's, what's, it's stupid to say something smart mouth. And of all places, the kitchen. (laughs) But I'm stupid. Yes, I am. I was in college, and I was all Calvinistic, reformed, and informed. I was smart. I was taking my humanities courses. I was getting it. And I had to teach her something. But her silly little back church charismatic theology... Remind you, don't even remind you, this is the same woman who led me to the Lord, but. And I got real philosophical and theological and real smart mouth and disrespectful too. So at 19 years old, I closed up my monologue to my mom at the kitchen table and did a mic drop move. By kind of standing up and just waving my hand and walking out. Before I could make it out the kitchen, wham! Biscuit pan to the back of the head. And she says, you might think you're smart and older now, but I am still your mama, and you'll respect me, and I won't let you grow up to be a donkey. <laughs> now, as long as I am alive, she says, you, you, know, you, you know you're going to listen to me. So you know what I did? Sat back at that kitchen table and got her monologue. God has the world's biscuit pan, y'all. Slippers and belts at his disposal in circumstances and allowing things to happen and letting things break out and break down and get exposed. He has stopped our hand-waving dismissal of him as his children without being the author of sin himself. But without being the author of sin himself, but nevertheless by whacking us down with disaster and sometimes sickness and all sorts of things and in ways, hear this, where it is unclear at first why. He let this thing happen or not happen. I know we live in a fallen world. That's a different category. I'm talking about how God uses things to discipline us. You know, why didn't you get into that school or not? Or why you didn't get this job or not? Or had your boyfriend break up with you right at that point and your finances crashed? I don't know. You didn't see it coming. And neither did I. But the good news for us is this that you and I can see and know that there is a Father God on both ends of affliction, and that is what makes it good discipline. 
It's not discipline. It's just mean and tormenting if it is not complete the way God makes it, where it's just discipline on the front end, but there's nothing on the back end. So God might have providentially been on one end of life's affliction and rebuke, but discipline is full circle because on the other end of God's biscuit pan is God's table, is God's word of comfort, is God's care, is God's correction, is God's grace, is God's love, is God himself. And he simply wants to drive us to be needy of him and respectful of his care for us children, again, to look up at him and say, there is a loving and caring father, and I forgot, but he's beat it back in my head somehow. The God who brought unpleasantries to our rebellion or lack of connection with him or our need to grow close to him in ways you can't see is also the God of good and peace and righteousness. So on the other side of momentary suffering and pain and affliction, God may be driving your life toward or in is peace and righteousness and holiness. You know what this passage teaches that so often escape us? God wants to bless you as his children. And thus we must receive the blessings of his discipline. That's the last point here. Look at verse 10 and 11 again. For our earthly parents disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for are good, that we may share in his holiness, y'all. For the moment, moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think about my kids, and you think about your kids, those who have kids, and you who have been kids, all of y'all. Everything they get is a blessing. You know that? They don't work. They have inconsistent job fulfillment at home and chores. They never meet their goals. Rarely. The kitchen never gets completely clean. The room never gets completely picked up, right? There's always, they should be fired. Everything they get is a blessing because they haven't earned it. And there's something good about that, right? God's blessing to us is beyond stuff and worldly success. God's discipline is keeping us in a position, y'all, on earth, in the right place in heart to receive his holiness and the peace of his righteousness and fruitfulness and change in our lives. And I know when I say that, for some of you who come from more of a prosperity gospel, it is like opening door two on the price of right and not getting a new car. But here we go. I am going to take some liberties with the word holiness to make a point. Holiness can not only be taken as holiness with an H, but wholeness that starts with the W, right? As incomplete, as in reaching, right? The, the place where you completely and perfectly belong and fit. I'm talking about true and real nirvana, right? Holiness is in large part is seeing and accepting and living with yourself and God in proper place and perspective. And the result of that, is verse, as verse 11 describes, is peaceful righteousness. 
This whole thing on discipline is less about getting a beating from God and more about not growing weary in things that make your life whole or holy and thus peaceful. And that is only achieved if you are a son and daughter of God and God is your daddy through a relationship through Jesus Christ. The peaceful righteousness is falling into, hear this now, after being chastised and corrected even, but falling into and feeling and knowing the arms and fatherhood of God who you have given up fighting in a world that you have given up running scared and being rebellious in and finally resting, finally falling, finally trusting and seeking the wonderful arms of God's grace in his fatherhood. Some of you have never felt that feeling. I'm a grown man. Boy, when my daddy hugs me still a day. Smell his cologne, that big wheel from Avon. He ain't changed that. Half the shave smell, you know. And then a little stubble on his beard, like, and he hugs you. Some of y'all need to know that from God. And sometimes he has to have the afflictions in your life and drive so you can finally rest, y'all. I've heard stories of kids who can't sleep at night. Now I know story as an adult who can't sleep at night sometimes. You need to know your father is there. You need to know that he cares. And sometimes it comes through discipline, y'all. That you can have peaceful righteousness and finally live comforted in Christ. I said this is the beginning. At the beginning, stop trying to be grown up, spiritually speaking, in your own life. This is peace that you got a daddy. And you know he's your daddy. And your daddy's the Lord. I was teased as a kid one time because my father passed by the bus stop and I waved him down because I wanted some money for something. And I remember saying in this real kid voice in front of my middle school buddies, please, daddy. And thank you, daddy. And they teased me all the way to the school bus. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Little boy. I was telling my dad later about the teasing. He said, Howard, the humiliation is not yours. It's theirs. You might not know this, but they don't have a father to call daddy. And they don't have a father that will let them call him daddy. The world and your pride will make you stiffen up and run from God's discipline in his church and in circumstance, but you don't have to. You have a father you can call daddy. And the world has got it upside down. There is peace and wholeness in that. And God doesn't want you and me to be embarrassed by the way afflictions in the eyes of others will make and urge us to cry out, Daddy, Lord Jesus, to make you and me desperate to wave down God in your needs and forgetfulness and sin. There is no shame in that. But peace and fruits of change in your life. And it's all part of the same story. 
Let me leave you with this. Verse 3 says this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Do you see that? The same words as weary in receiving the discipline of the Lord. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of your of shedding your blood. This is, of course, talking and large part, I think, about martyrdom. But you know what the author of Hebrews is saying in this passage, towards this passage about discipline? You don't have to bleed to be a son or daughter. It's not going to take your flesh, your works, Though you could die as a martyr, it is not your bloodshed that stopped your sin from separating you from God. It was not your blood or your works that brought you and made you sons and daughters of God and heirs of his fruit and peace and holiness. It was the blood of Jesus. It was his bloodshed. We read this verse so wrong so many times. You ain't even, you, you ain't suffered enough. You ain't worked hard enough. You ain't even shed blood. You ain't ready to be God's. What? God's saying, you don't have to shed blood to be mine. Because my son already shed blood. It was the blood of Jesus. It was his bloodshed that gave us the grace to become the children of God who could receive the good discipline of the Lord and not run around like uncared for orphan children. And the grace of God's discipline truly, it hurt him more than it hurt us. Jesus died, so discipline won't be abuse. Jesus died so that God's discipline would be grace. Jesus died so that God's discipline would be good for people who are but children in this world. My son and daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son and daughter whom he receives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. The world will want to abuse us and call us to abuse ourselves, to be accepted, to be made right to be made holy, to be made righteousness. There has to be this fleshly war in order for there to be peace. But Lord, we we look to you for grace. So help us, Lord, to accept that address and treatment as sons and daughters. Help your people today to look toward the shed blood of Jesus That allows us to freely come and just be God's kids, his children, his broken children. Lord, as I prayed, as I spoke and and used examples of, of childhood trauma and relationship with parents and discipline and abuse, Lord, I do pray for those who suffered those things and who now have a hard time accepting relationship with you and relationship to each other and and, and love and believing there can be peace and love for them. Help them, Lord, to see beyond earthly fathers 
and see you who's perfect and loving. Lord, help those of us whose parents have spoiled us in thinking that, that life is, is, is not good when things, only not good when things are going wrong. Please help us to see that in those broken things, because of what Christ has done in overcoming the world, the sin, sin, the devil, the flesh, that those things that truly happen are for our good. Help those of us who've been hurt and abused in churches and who run from anything that looks like membership or discipline or accountability. Help us, Lord, to see your hand of grace in this place or any church they would choose to go to. Help them see it and draw them to you. Lord, help us to cry out as your scripture says, Abba, Father. Daddy, because of Christ's shed blood. This we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.